Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Father, I thank you for these words. And uh, Lord, I, every week it seems like I thank you for your words. <clears throat> and that goes without saying, but I do say it because I do appreciate very much your word to us. And it means a great deal to me, both personally and in my ministry and to my family. And I pray, Father, that you would take your word this morning and impart it to our hearts and our souls, our spirits, our being, and our life, and our families. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Seems like, speaking of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, it seems like as you get older, you wonder, is my life significant any longer? I... I remember having this conversation, especially midlife, you know, when we get to that midlife point, we start wondering, you know, have we done anything? Have we accomplished anything on this earth? It really doesn't have anything to do with age, though, because I can remember as a teenager very clearly one night just really crying out to God and asking God what my purpose was in, in my life. I, I just, what my purpose was on this earth. And I think we all feel that at some point or other, and I think it's because God made us for purpose, that God made us to have purpose in our life, and we all struggle in our lives to find that purpose. And maybe it's because we have a hard time making the connection between the seemingly insignificant things that we do and God's bigger picture, in other words, His, His kingdom. It's hard to see that the little things that I do, the small things that I do, whether it's in work or just daily routine, mowing my yard, it's hard to make a connection between that and the big picture of God's kingdom. How in the world does that, is that any way connected to God's kingdom? What am I doing that's really building his kingdom or better yet, what can I do to build his kingdom on earth? This is my sixth and final message in my series, and it, it, I came very close to having another message after this, but I, I just uh, I held back, and this is the sixth and final message on Thy Kingdom Come, the series entitled Thy Kingdom Come. I, I've spent a lot of time building up to this message, uh, and I hope it's not <laughs> anticlimactic. I hope that you haven't been waiting and thinking, okay, he's going to really give us the punchline at the end, and, and it is a punchline, to, so to speak. But it's really basically to give us an understanding of what kingdom, what thy kingdom looks like in our lives. What, what's, that, what's that supposed to look like? Before I do that, let me just take a quick look back at the life of Jesus because there's a connection between the way Jesus approached kingdom and the way we're to approach kingdom. I've said all along from day one, the very first message, I said that, that Jesus' primary message during his earthly ministry was, quote, the gospel of the kingdom. That's exactly what the Bible says Jesus proclaimed was the gospel in other words, the good news that the kingdom has finally arrived. And Jesus not only proclaimed that kingdom, and I made a case for this in the last message or so, that Jesus not only proclaimed the kingdom, but he lived the kingdom. He lived out the kingdom. It was more than just a proclamation. 
and for us too. It should be more than just a proclamation or a prayer, thy kingdom come, but it should be something that we live out. You could say that Jesus acts, for instance, this one that's up on the screen, you could say that Jesus acts, what he did was a kingdom act. Okay, what Jesus did was a kingdom act. And our text this morning pretty much supports this. What what was he saying here? This is something Jesus did. It was an act of Jesus. I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, and that's proof that the kingdom of God has come upon you. What I'm doing by the Spirit of God is proof that the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. I want to focus on one aspect, one part of this verse that's going to really take us through the rest of this message and, uh, and I want to t- talk about the enabling of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Before I share that, let me back up just a little bit more and talk about when Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. There's no doubt that at this moment, Jesus was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. After his baptism, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon him. Shortly after this, the reason why we we know, not only because we're just told here that the Holy Spirit came and descended and rested on him, not only are we told that here, but very shortly after that, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he takes the book of Isaiah. We'll put it up here for you. Takes the book of Isaiah from Luke. This is Luke chapter 4. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now what has just happened? He's been baptized. The Spirit has come upon me. So he goes to the synagogue, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, he finds this place, this happens to be Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to point something out here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I'm anointed to, 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 to do this, to do this. The anointing comes on Jesus to accomplish this, to proclaim this, to do this. The anointing comes, and and notice the several acts. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit to do kingdom acts. Jesus, I'm going to say that again, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit to do kingdom acts. So it makes sense that if we think about the very first verse we read, if I cast out demons by what? The Spirit of God. If I'm casting out demons because I'm enabled and anointed by the Spirit of God, then that's proof that the kingdom of God is here. Now, as I said all along, those acts of Jesus Christ did not stop with his ascension. In other words, Jesus didn't say to his disciples, I've said this before, But Jesus didn't say to his disciples after he said, okay, I've been resurrected, all authority's been given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm out of here, goodbye and good luck. But Jesus 
Jesus' ascension did not make his acts, kingdom acts, cease. In other words, a lot of people think that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that everything that he did on earth, that was done. That was past, that's history. Now there's going to be a new phase and something else is going to be done and Jesus has stopped working. And now he's just sitting at the right hand of the Father just doing what people who sit at the right hand of the Father do. Okay? His ascension, listen, his ascension just changed his geography. It didn't change what he came to do. It didn't change his mission to continue to do kingdom acts on this earth. Okay, that's, that's important to understand. You need to understand that, and, and I've thought about this before with Jesus, probably the frustration that he felt, and, and I, I think you've, you feel this with him in Matthew chapter 9 when he's looking over the masses of the people, and, he, and he is, the Bible says he's moved with compassion. He sees them and realizes, I'm only one man. Yes, he's Jesus Christ, but he's only one man. He's, he's a human. And he can't be everywhere. And he looks at the masses of the people and is moved with compassion for them. And he knows he can't do it all. He cannot do it all. He cannot be with this one while this one over here is sick and dying. And so he looks over that and he, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends out workers in the field, you know, that he sends out people to, to, to minister to these others, to these hurting. And so Jesus' kingdom acts, his ministry on earth did not stop with his ascension. It just changed his geography. His, his work continues. Now, as Jesus' ministry is closing, as he's coming to the end of his earthly ministry, now I said closing, but coming to the end of his earthly ministry while on earth, he realizes that there is going to be this transition that takes place. And so he wants the continuity to, to take place. In other words, that there's going to be a transition. He's going to be placed in heaven at the right hand of Father, continuing to do what he's always done, continuing to minister on earth and heal people and touch people and proclaim uh, liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He wants that to continue. He knows that's going to continue through him. There's going to be a transition. And so he goes to his disciples because he doesn't want to lose that continuity. He gathers them together and he assures them that he, sa he says this basically, I'm paraphrasing this, but he says this. He said, listen, when I leave, it's not the end. It's not, it's not the end of the story. Then he said, I will not leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. This is what he says. Go ahead. In John chapter 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you destitute. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I will come to you. But he explains that he's not going to come to them in a bodily form. He's going to come to them in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is called, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And so by having the Spirit of Christ here, we have Christ here. So when he says, I will come to you, he's not, he's not deceiving them. He tells them later on, by the way, in this passage, he said, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the comforter. He's going to come to you. He's going to bring to you everything that I've told you. He's, there's going to be this transition. It's not going to be me in bodily form anymore, anymore but it's going to be my spirit that I'm going to send to you. I'm going to send my spirit upon you. And he, and he tells them that spirit will empower them to continue his work. 
Let me say something about Luke real quick. Luke, the book of Luke, uh, but let me talk about the author, Luke. Luke uh, writes two volumes, volume one, volume two. Volume one is Luke, the gospel of Luke, and volume two is the book of Acts. We know that because he introduces the book of Acts, and I'll show that to you in just a moment, but he introduces the book of Acts by saying, you remember what I wrote in my first volume, so to speak, paraphrasing it a little bit. So Luke writes about this transition. And at the very last, so, so you have Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then, so at the very last chapter of Luke and the first chapter of Acts, there's, there's a connection between the two because there's a promise that Jesus gives. So I'm going to show you a verse in the very last chapter of Luke and the first chapter of Acts. End of volume one, beginning of volume two. This is what he says in Luke chapter 24 at the end of the book of Luke. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's Luke's volume one, end of chapter. Volume two, the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight. This is what he says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of all the earth. So, in both of those places, he's saying, Look, that's how I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you and empower you by my Holy Spirit. And not only that, not only are you going to be empowered, but he said, You think my works were great? He said, Guess what? He said, Your works are going to be greater. And this is what he says in John chapter 14. We looked at uh, John 14, 8 just a moment ago where it says, uh, 18, where it says, I will not leave you as orphans. In that same context, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my father. What's that got to do with anything? Because I'm going to my father, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, greater works than, than, uh, greater works than I've done will you do because I'm going to my Father and there's going to be something special that happens when I go to my Father. So at this point, enter the book of Acts. Let's talk about the book of Acts for just a few moments, really for the rest of our time together. The book of Acts is, is vital for our understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like after Jesus' ascension. I want to show you the, the introduction. I, mentioned, I briefly uh, talked about this a second ago. This is Acts 1.1 the very introduction of the book. And so he says in my first volume, basically, in, my, in the first book, O Theophilus. So in, in my first volume, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In my opinion, this is Michael's opinion, but in my opinion, there's a, there's a subtle hint here. He's saying this, I have dealt in the first volume, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In this volume, I'm going to tell you what Jesus continues to do and teach. Again, there's not an end when Jesus ascends. There's not an end to what he was doing and teaching. It continues in the book of Acts. And so volume two is about what Jesus is now going to continue to do and to teach. Now, but now he's doing it from a position of supreme authority. He's going to continue to do kingdom acts and preside over the acts of the believers. Now, speaking of that, we call the book of Acts, the book of Acts, or for short, we just call it Acts, turn to Acts. 
<clears throat> but I, when I was uh, growing up, I first, when I was first uh, beginning to get into Scripture, I think the Bible that I had called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. That was the, that was the full title of it, the Acts of the Apostles. And, uh, and, and though there, there's, you know, that sounds like a great uh, title, the problem with that is, is that the apostles are not the primary characters in the book of Acts. After, after they're mentioned in Acts chapter 1, you only read about two, uh, two of those apostles throughout the rest of the book of Acts, and that's Peter and John. But you read about Stephen, and you read about Philip, not the, not the Philip who was original apostle, but a different Philip. You read about a lot of other characters in the book of Acts. So really, theoretically, it's not really the Acts of the Apostles. I've also heard it called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And you could probably make a case for that. But here's what I would like to call the book of Acts that kind of summarizes Acts. I, I believe it should be called the Acts of the Risen Lord carried out through his people, empowered by his Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. The acts of the risen Lord carried out, the acts of the risen Lord carried out through his people, empowered by his Holy Spirit. And I'll put it even sh more, more short, uh, shorter. The acts of Christ through his people by the Holy Spirit. The acts of Christ through his people by the Holy Spirit, but they are the acts of Christ. This title gives us a good summary of the book of Acts. The believers, in other words, did what Jesus did. They proclaimed the kingdom and they lived out that kingdom. The whole book, by the way, is about kingdom. I know you've been hearing me hammering this now for uh, the sixth message now, I'm talking about kingdom. I talked in the first message about how this, that was Jesus' favorite subjects. Most theologians that I've ever read do, don't, don't disagree with that. They, they believe that Jesus' primary message in the Gospels was the gospel of the kingdom. He spoke about it time and time and time again. And that was his primary message. Why should that change if Jesus is going to continue in the book of Acts to be prominent and be continuing to do kingdom acts through his people and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why shouldn't we understand that, that the kingdom of God is prominent in the book of Acts? It begins with the kingdom and it ends with the kingdom. Let me show you this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, very early in the book of Acts, Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So we, we're introduced in Acts chapter 1 that the, that the message is still the kingdom of God. He spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. How does the book of Acts end? Look in Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So you have the whole book of Acts framed by the kingdom of God for 40 days by Jesus and Paul constantly talking about the kingdom of God at the end. It is filled with the kingdom of God. That shouldn't surprise us. It's Jesus' message and it's the message of the disciples. It's the believer's Praying and proclaiming and living out, thy kingdom come on earth. Thy kingdom come on earth. 
Not, not doing what Jesus did, but listen, acting out what Jesus is doing. Because remember, it's still the acts of Jesus Christ. It's the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ worked out through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that in order for his people to do kingdom acts, and that's not just those in the book of Acts, that's all of us, that they need the same anointing that he had. So Jesus' very first act as ascended Lord is to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people. Acts chapter 2. That's why we have Acts chapter 2. Because that wasn't just, just something to give charismatics a new, you know, this, this kind of, uh, you know, their, their chapter. That's my, our chapter. You know, that's, that's what we, we like, Acts chapter 2, because the Holy Spirit's following us with speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff. That's great. That's wonderful. But it had a purpose. The reason that happened was because Jesus Christ was about to send out the disciples to the four corners of the world, and he knew that they needed the same anointing that he had. And so he pours out his spirit on the believers that are gathered there, 120 gathered, thousands, by the way, of others, but unbelievers, but 120 disciples gathered there. And listen, if Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news and heal and deliver people, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit on me look like? What does that look like? What what is the, if I say that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, what is that supposed to look like in my life? Well, it looks like what it looked like in Jesus' life. Remember what we read earlier? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to, to, to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this, to accomplish this, to proclaim, to heal, to speak deliverance, to set the captives free. The Holy Spirit on us is to cause us to do kingdom acts just as Jesus Christ did and does. Not only, can you imagine this? Not only has the same Spirit that begat Jesus begotten us, but the very same Spirit that empowered Jesus empowers us. That same Spirit that came on Jesus that empowered Him to heal the sick is on us, is on you and me. And the whole Bible promises that that kingdom, by the way, will increase without ceasing. How does the kingdom of God increase? Jesus is now in heaven. How does the kingdom of God increase? Guess what? That's where you and I come in. The kingdom of God increases. And, and the Bible promises that. God promises the kingdom of God in, increases. That means he puts a lot of trust in us. I want the kingdom of God, not I want it, but he said I, the kingdom of God is going to increase. And guess what? It's going to increase through you by what you do and by the kingdom acts, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're the ones through whom Jesus works to bring about his kingdom until the Bible says the glory of his kingdom covers the earth as the waters covers the seas. The book of Acts was the beginning of Jesus' work through his people. Now, now I've talked about Jesus, you know, the kingdom acts and the work of Jesus Christ and his ministry while on earth. There was a transition, the geography changed, but he continues to do the, those works. But, the, but there's a new way he's working now. He's working now through, through your hands, through your mouth, through your feet. He's work, we are his body. He needs a body to work through. 
because He's presiding over all of us, but it's still His work. It doesn't stop, by the way, the, 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 the acts of Jesus, beginning of Jesus' work through His people doesn't stop with the last chapter of the book of Acts or the last of the apostles. It continues with you and me. And I wrote this in my notes. Never heard it before, never thought about it before, but we are the book of Acts now. You and I are the book of Acts. It's, it's still being written. The book of Acts is still being written through you and through me. Again, we're the mouth and hands and feet of the one who has all authority over the earth. We're his body. Every kingdom act we do, every kingdom act you do, ensures that his kingdom continues to come to this earth until one day it covers the earth. What is a kingdom act? Let me briefly tell you what a kingdom act is. Remember earlier on I said in this series, every kingdom has a king and every king has a kingdom. And, more importantly, the kingdom takes on the nature of the king. Every kingdom takes on the nature of the king. You'll find in the Old Testament when there was an evil king, the people became evil. When, the, when there was a righteous king, the people followed the Lord. And so, if Jesus Christ is, a, is king over his kingdom, then his kingdom is going to reflect his nature. I mentioned before that he is the king of love. So every act of love is a kingdom act. Every act of love on your part is a kingdom act. He is also called the prince of peace. Every time we make peace, that's a kingdom act. He's a king of righteousness. Every time we set things right, that is a kingdom act. And listen to me, no matter how small you think what you're doing is, the Bible assures you that though it, it doesn't matter. The Bible says don't despise the day of small things. It doesn't matter how small it is. The Bible says that, that our labor is never in vain in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Don't let the devil tell you that what you're doing is insignificant. Your labor is not in vain. Remember something I, I, mentioned, I shared a few months ago. I had to look it up. I think it was back in February uh, about a man named Merimoth. And I mentioned Meshulam and Malchijah, I think, in that message. And I said, you know, those are three people that are well-known in the Bible. Everybody's scratching their heads. No, I've never heard of them. If you ever sat through one of my uh, series on Nehemiah, you would know who they were. But Merimoth is a virtually unknown man to the majority of people. But he was a man who labored. Now listen to this carefully, because this, to me, this is so significant. This man who, who, again, didn't make the who's who in Hebrews chapter 11. He's barely mentioned in the Bible at all he, in Nehemiah chapter 3, along with Malchijah and, and Mer, uh, uh, Meshulam and some others that we rarely ever hear their names or talk about. But this man labored to bring about the fulfillment of one of God's greatest promises. While Israel was in exile, God had promised through the prophets that one day, one day, I'm going to restore the fortunes of my people. 
and their city's going to be repaired and rebuilt. That was God's promise. God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to restore this. I'm going to rebuild the city and so forth. Did God come down out of heaven and, you know, put on a blacksmith's uniform and, or, or a, what would they be? I guess a, a mason's uniform. He didn't do it. He didn't do that. That was God's promise. Then one day, as the book of Nehemiah records, a man named Merimoth, among others, stands with a piece of stone in his hand, in one hand and a trowel in the other. And he's taking some mud and putting it on another stone and he's slapping that down there. And Merimoth, in that seemingly insignificant thing of putting a stone on a wall, is fulfilling a long, long promise that God had given Israel saying, one day your wall is going to be rebuilt. And guess who it's being rebuilt by? Merimoth, Meshulam, and Malchijah. Great, great men. And, and there were women, uh, you know, of God doing that, you know, building the walls next to their houses and stuff like that. They were just putting it together. Seemingly insignificant thing, but it, when it was all done, God said, see, I told you I was going to rebuild the wall. But who did he do it through? Whose hands did he use? Whose know-how did, did he use? And so God says your labor is not in vain. God's true to his promise through this seemingly insignificant work of a few faithful men and women. And the same is true of us. No matter how small you think your kingdom act is, this little thing that you're doing, it is not in vain. You're fulfilling God's promise to cover the earth with his glory and kingdom. I'm going to close with, with a, a quote, a, a, a little bit of a lengthy quote, but it's so good. Because I think it will sum up uh, the several weeks of what I've been trying to say. And I read these the couple of good illustrations uh, a number of years ago in a book by N.T. Wright. And here's what he said. Jesus is the medical genius who discovered penicillin. We are doctors ourselves being cured by the medicine, now applying it to those who need it. Jesus is the musical genius who wrote the greatest oratorio of all time. We are the musicians captivated by his composition ourselves, who now perform it before a world full of music and cacophony. The kingdom did indeed come with Jesus, but it will fully come when the world is healed, when the whole creation finally joins in the song. But it must be Jesus' medicine. It must be Jesus' music. And the only way to be sure of that is to pray his prayer. And I will just add to that, to pray and live out, thy kingdom come. That explains it to me. It's all Jesus. Jesus is his idea. It's his music. We sing it. And when we sing it, the world catches on. And I, I can't help but remember that old, old Coca-Cola commercial, I'd like to teach the world to sing. But we don't want, to, want them singing about Coca-Cola. We want them singing about Jesus. But that's what we do. I mean, it's, those are such good illustrations that it's still Jesus' work. It's still his oratorio. It's still his discovery, his genius. And we're taking that. We're taking that medicine. We've taken that medicine, and now we go and impart that to other people. But it's still his work and his song. He's the one still singing it. We join in with his song 
and we change the world by doing that. That's thy kingdom come, not only just being prayed, but being lived out by us in every kingdom act that we, that we do, no matter how small, is building that wall, repairing that wall, imparting life and healing and so forth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to do what? Well, you fill that in, okay? Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to what are you going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day? To do what? You fill that in. Let Jesus help you fill that in. Amen.